Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hey, warmer from the low. Welcome to the Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two is Matt Joseph. So you know him better as Mid-Major Matt. He does great work over at ESPN Radio in Richmond. He does a tremendous job over at Athlon Sports handicapping a little bit of everything, and he's going to be joining me, taking a look at some player props and a few team totals that have been working out very well for him as well. So we're going to be getting a little bit of a look on the prop front, and then we are going to be diving into the slate that we do have for this Wednesday in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we do touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at and underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Tuesday. Let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. We do have to recap a few games from Monday as well because of Greg Peterson experience. That is now from midnight to 3 Eastern time over on VSIN. If you're looking out there on the West Coast, that is 9 to midnight. So with regards to the cleanup from Monday, we did see the Royals eventually pull it out by a count of 7-6 to six against the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners would actually come back from being down 5-0 to zero in this game to take a 7-6 to six lead. And then Matt Brash could not hold on as a walk-off bunt was able to get it done for the Kansas City Royals. And as I do the podcast for Tuesday, the Seattle Mariners, they're up by a count of 8-5 to five as pitching has not been the forte of the Kansas City Royals. And the Royals have won just three Jordan Lyles starts. It's probably going to be going to a 3-20 and 20 mark as this is our number 23 from and he got lit up. Seven runs, six of which earned, given up by Lyles in five innings with four home runs surrendered. And Eugenio Suarez, 17th home run season to Oscar Hernandez, his 18th Ty France, 10th home run season, and yet home run number one for the Arizona Diamondbacks cast off in Mr. Josh Rojas. 
for the Mariners. Not necessarily what they were hoping for. Uh, their young gun is. Five innings, five runs allowed by Emerson Hancock. From there, Gabe Spire, a scoreless setting. So we shall see how that one shakes out. In terms of the West Coast games that we did see on Monday, you had the Arizona Diamondbacks fall to the Colorado Rockies by a count of 6-4. And for Arizona, they got up in this game by a count of 4-1. to And then the Rockies were able to play a four spot in the eighth inning of the Diamondbacks. Currently have the worst bullpen in terms of ERA over the last three days in baseball. Joe Mantiply gave up three runs without getting a single out in that eighth inning. And oh, guess what? He was the opener for the game on Tuesday as well. Something very rarely seen. And as I do this podcast, the Diamondbacks are currently up by kind of 2-1. to one As Mantiply was able to come in and lent a squirrel setting before you had pretty much a piggyback situation. Tyler Gilbert is currently in the game as they will lend a squirrel setting. And Bryce Jarvis... In his MLB debut, he gives up just one run over the course of three innings. Right now, main form of offense for the Earths and the Diamondbacks. You had Christian Walker go deep, 26th home run season. He's been able to heat up a little bit more as he goes deep off for tie block. Two runs surrender over the course of five innings for block. And now it's going to be up to the bullpen to try to be able to hold down the fort on that front. You also did see the St. Louis Cardinals rally from being down against the Oakland Old A's to be able to win that game by a count of 7-5 from Monday. Also from Monday, the Padres. Put up no runs whatsoever against the Baltimore Orioles. 4-1. to one. Baltimore able to get it done as Grayson Rodriguez just continues to be tremendous. Ever since getting recalled from the minor leagues, he has been a different man. Sub-350 ERA since being recalled gives up a solo home run over the course of seven innings. Garrett Cooper, 14th home run of the campaign. And Yu Darvish, his rough season continues. He gives up four runs in seven innings, including a home run to Ryan O'Hearn. That is home run number 10 of the campaign for him. Tom Cosgrove, Luis Garcia, both under squirrel setting for the Padres, and Jacob Webb and Felix Batista. They were able to polish off a squirrel setting apiece. And as I do this podcast, the Padres, they're looking to take out their frustrations on Baltimore, up by kind of 5-0 to zero after the first inning as Captain Jack Flaherty walks three, gives up two hits, and one of those hits went over the fence as Gary Sanchez in a two-out, bases-loaded spot. It's a grand slam. His 16th home run season. Michael Walker making his first start in about six weeks. Was able to turn a scoreless first inning. So we shall see what happens there. But, yeah, that is not a good start for our good friends, the Baltimore Orioles. This was not good for our good friends, the San Francisco Giants. On Monday, they lost 10-2 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays currently playing without Wander Franco. I will let you look up as to why, but Christian Bethencourt, he was out there on the field. He had his eighth home run season that came off of Luke Jackson as Tristan Beck was a bulk guy. Ryan Walker, two scoreless innings as the opener. Beck gives up 10 hits, five runs and three innings. And then from there, Luke Jackson gives up that solo run and one and a third innings. Scott Alexander gets five outs out of the bullpen, giving up two runs. And then he had one of the two Rodgers brothers. This one, Taylor Rodgers, he gives up two runs over the course of his inning of work and for Tampa Bay. They needed a good start out of Tyler Glass now. They were able to get it. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. And Jacob Lopez eats three innings. He gives up just one run. Big for a Tampa Bay Rays team that has been dealing with a bunch of injuries. We'll have some cleanup on the podcast with regards to the West Coast games from Tuesday as well on the podcast tomorrow. It's currently, that is a game that is 0-0 zero to zero in the second inning. Currently, with regards to the Brewers versus the Los Angeles Dodgers game, that's another one that's going to be need to be cleaned up on the podcast tomorrow. That game just got started, but DK Network right to pick. We've been doing well on these. We fall at 18-8 with this loss as the Reds, they just did not generate any offense. The Cleveland Guardians, 
They get it done by a count of three to zero. Guardians have obviously been one of your better teams the under thus far this season. And for the Reds, very interestingly, even though they play at one of the best hitters havens in all of baseball, they have actually scored fewer runs at home than they have on the road. And for the Cleveland Guardians, they played right around 58% of their games to the under. It's interestingly enough, the Rockies and the Blue Jays, they're pretty much tied with them for the top under mark in all of baseball. But for the Guardians, Logan Allen was tremendous. Six squirrel settings before Anya De Los Santos, Trevor Steven, Emmanuel Class A, all into squirrel setting. Meanwhile, for Cincinnati, Graham Ashcraft, not the world's greatest start, but far from terrible. He gives up three runs in seven innings. Alex Young gives you two scoreless innings. The Reds pitch well enough to win. He just didn't get any offense whatsoever. So that's sometimes the way the cookie crumbles. The way the cookie crumbled for the Red Sox was with a 5-4 win over the Washington Nationals. Nick Pavetta does not have a good start. Gives up four runs in four and a third innings, but the bullpen at his back. Chris Martin, John Schreiber, Josh Winkowski, Kenley Jansen, all squirrel setting, and Brendan Bernardino. Fair outside the bullpen for Alex Verdugo. He goes deep for his ninth home run in the campaign. That comes off of Josiah Gray. For Mr. Gray, he was seeing a lot of gray, 50 shades of gray, as he gives up five runs in three innings. From there, the bullpen actually did their job. Andres Machado, Jose Farrar, Jordan Weems, Hunter Harvey, they all lend a squirrel setting, and you get two squirrels out of Robert Garcia, but... Too little, too late there. And for anyone that took the over of nine and a half, just a brutal beat. You had nine runs on the board at the top of the fourth inning and the game dies from there. Dude, that is that is rough to say the least. I feel for you if you had that one. The Toronto Blue Jays didn't get the job done by a count of two to one as for the Philadelphia Phillies. Just not a lot doing on offense for them. Zach Wheeler, great start. One run surrendered over the course of seven innings. From there, Sir Anthony Dominguez gives up a run while getting a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Jeff Hoffman gets that final out in the eighth inning. But for Toronto, Yusei Kikuchi, he once again delivers in the start. Six innings, allowing one run. And for Kikuchi, he has allowed one earned run or fewer now six straight starts. I can't say I'm necessarily buying into it, but it certainly has been a nice run. Jordan Romano was back from the injured list. Jordan Nix, Yimi Garcia, they all end a squirrel setting. So the Blue Jays now hitting a little bit north of 58% of their games to the under overall this season. And they've had a really good home under team as well for the Blue Jays. Right around 63 or so percent of their home games have been going under the total. The best home under team in baseball, by the way, has been the New York Mets. They play an over on Tuesday. As I do this podcast, the Pirates are currently up by a count of 7-4 in the ninth inning. They need to avoid a gas canning, but for the Pirates, they had Lovar Piguero go deep off of David Peterson. No relation. Fifth home run of the season for Peterson. This one wasn't necessarily his fault, though. You would like to see more length than three and two-thirds innings. He gives up that solo home run, and that's all he gives up, but six walks, jacked up his pitch count, and this is a Mets bullpen that is not very good. Grant Hardwick. Gives up three runs, gets just one out of the bullpen. Yeah, Drew Smith and Brooks Raley from there do a nice job of holding down the four, but you need some long relief out of Jose Buto, giving up three runs in two and two-thirds innings. For the Mets, trail of home runs in this one. Jonathan Oruz, back-to-back games for a home run for him. Second home run season, DJ turn it up. Stewart, his second home run season. Those both come off of Colin Selby in the bullpen, who goes one and a third innings, allowing three runs, all of which were earned, and then Brandon Nimmo gets the 17th home run season off of Bailey Falter, and Falter did not really falter. One run surrendered in five to third innings before Selby gives up those runs on El Perdomo, not out of the bullpen, and Colin Holderman, squirrel setting. We should likely be seeing David Benar in the ninth inning, and well, with the Mets, I don't think that they're going to be able to storm back in this one. When it comes to a game that went final, you saw the New York Yankees and Luis Severino, shocker, not get the job done. 5-0, the Atlanta Braves get the win 
Everyone not named Luis Severino did a solid job of pitching for the Yankees. Severino, five runs surrendered in four innings, including home run from there. Jonathan Weisinger, Tommy Canley, Clay Holmes, Wani Peralta all lend a scoreless setting for the Yankees. He also had one hit. They had two errors and one hit, so they doubled up. They hit him out with errors as for the Atlanta Braves, going deep off of Severino has become just a human gas can at this point. Marcel Ozuna, 24th home run season. Ronald Cunha Jr. is 27th. Bryce Elder gives up one in and seven scoreless innings. A.J. Minter, Kirby Yates, they're both able to turn a scoreless inning of their own. The Houston Astros finally get to the Miami Marlins for a one-run win. 6-5 the final. The Marlins have been, I believe, 27-10 and 10 entering into this game in one-run game. So they certainly have been having some good fortune in these, but for the Astros, they get a trail of home runs. Kyle Tucker, 23rd home run season. Chaz McCormick is 16th. And for a Yenier Diaz, he gets a 16th. For McCormick and Diaz, they both go deep off of the starter in Johnny Cueto, who lost five runs, four of which were earned in five to third innings. The other home run comes off of A.J. Puck, along his home run in an inning. Stephen Okert was able to give you two scoreless settings out of the bullpen, and George Soriano got a pair of outs out of the bullpen. And you did have Christian Javier give up a home run to Ore Soler, 30th home run in the campaign for Soler as Javier was not sharp in this one, giving up five runs in four and two-thirds innings, four of which earned. From there, though, Rafael Montero and out of the bullpen. And then Hunter Brown in long relief, two scoreless innings. Brian Abreu, Ryan Presley, they both turn a scoreless inning to be able to get that one to the window. This one is still going on as I do this podcast, but looks like the Minnesota Twins should be able to get this done. They're closing out the top of the ninth right now. The uh, Twins currently up by kind of five to three for Detroit. Did have a pair of home runs. Spencer Torkelson. His 19th home run season, that comes off of the reliever in Johan Duran. And then you had Miguel Cabrera, the ageless one. His second home run season off of Bailey Ober. Ober not bad in this one, giving up two runs over the course of five innings. From there, Don Floro, Emilio Pagan, killed Theobar, Olenda, scoreless setting, and Duran. He's right now looking to be able to close this game out. Meanwhile, Matt Walner, his ninth home run season, that comes off of Will Vest. As Alex Fajardo, actually a really good start. He goes five scoreless settings, allowing one in and one walk. And then Will Vest gives up two runs while getting two outs out of the bullpen. Jose Cicerno, three runs without getting a single out. From there, yet Andrew Vasquez get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Brandon White has turned one and two-thirds inning scoreless. As for the Minnesota Twins, all five of their runs posted up in the sixth inning. That has been the experience with them thus far this season. Right now, the Texas Rangers are taking it to the LA Angels. Five to one as a count after seven innings. As for the LA Angels, just nothing doing on offense for this team as Lucas Giolito. It starts away from Chicago this year. He's got an ERA right around six. Gives up four runs over the course of six innings, including a home run to uh, Corey Seager, 21st home run season. Then Seager again goes deep off of Aaron Lupus, 22nd home run campaign for Loop. Gives up that home run in two-thirds of an inning. Dominic Leon gets it out of the bullpen. And for the Walker, Texas Rangers, Jordan Montgomery, very good start. Nine punch outs, one run allowed in six innings. Now the bullpen is going to be looking to piecemeal that one together. Right now, looking to piecemeal this together is the Chicago White Sox. They are up by kind of 4-3 to three as they do this podcast going into the eighth inning. As for the White Sox, Tuki Tucson, not necessarily the start that he was looking for. Gives up three runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of home runs. C.A. Suzuki, 11th home run season. Ian App is 14th. And the Professor, Kyle Hendricks, three runs surrendered in six innings before Julian Merriweather gives up a run in an inning. But the White Sox bullpen, so far so good. Tanner Banks, Aaron Bummer, and Lane Ramsey have all been able to lend a scoreless inning. So we shall see what happens on that front. And this is one that it's going to be going final relatively soon. The Oakland Triple A's currently down by kind of 6-2 with 
the St. Louis Cardinals in full control in this one. The Oakland A's have actually been a really good run line team over the last 45 days, but seems like that is starting to dry up. Spencer Watkins had to get the unexpected start. Five runs surrendered and four and a third innings. He's really never been that good as he allows a pair of home runs going deep off of him. Nolan Arenado, 25th home run season, and you had Jordan Walker get his 11th a little bit later on. Tommy Edmond, he goes deep off of Zach Neal, his 11th home run of the campaign. As you had Austin Pruitt get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. You had a scoreless setting out of Tyler Scott. And Zach Neal is currently on in long relief, has given up this home run. It is ending of work. And you did have a first in this game. First career home run for young Lawrence Butler. That comes off to go to Hudson, who went a good start. He goes six and two-thirds eggs, lying two runs, including that. So home run from there, the King and John King and Drew Verhagen have both been able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. So looks like the Cardinals should be able to get to the window on that one. Talk about too little, too late for the Cardinals. That's exactly it. But if you're taking a look at baseball right now, certainly not too late to be able to make some money on this season as it's getting hot, it's getting heavy, and it's getting fun. Over the last three days, we have been seeing a lot of unders. 205 unders to 171 overs. That's a 54.5% clip to the under over the last three days. Meanwhile, favorites in the science span hitting at a little bit over 56%, 216 and 169, but they have been rough on the run line. 61 of those favorites failed to cover the minus 1.5 run line over the last seven days. Favorites have done just fine, 55 and 38 straight up, but 19 of those favorites won by just one run. Meanwhile, the under over the last seven days, 49 unders and 41 overs. So that's right around 54.5%. If you're looking at the season today, the under is hitting at a clip of 51%. 874 unders, 839 overs with favorites. Going overall for the season, 58% on the money line, 1,028 and 743. But we have now seen 265 different favorites be unable to cover the run line. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we all got on late Monday into early Tuesday. And coming up next, we talk with our good friend Matt Joseph, a.k.a. Mid-Major Matt, taking a look at some player props and getting you set for the Tuesday card right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. 
It is always great to be joined by this man as Matt Josephs. You know him better as mid-major Matt. He does a tremendous job taking a look on the front of baseball, doing a great job when it comes to a lot of these player props, diving in day in and day out, trying to find some value here. And then on top of that, I know that he's very tied in with the Philadelphia sports scene. He does a great show over on ESPN Radio in Richmond. I know he's been doing some great work getting set with the upcoming college football season as well over at Athlon Sports. So this man does it all, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at Matt all together. And Matt, great to have you aboard. Thank you. No problem, Greg. Always appreciate educating the listeners and doing a show with you. Always appreciate you joining me. And Matt, it has been a wild baseball season thus far, and I know that you do a great job over on the player prop front. What have been some of the props that have been standing out for you recently? Because I know that one of your main specialties over the years have been K-props, but I know you've been looking at a few others as well. The closest thing to automatic, it feels like lately, is taking the Braves over two and a half runs in the first five innings. And the books sometimes give us three and a half. They gave us three and a half in the uh, in the game against Luis Severino on Tuesday. But a lot of times they give us a two and a half. And it's rather interesting because sometimes it'll be one and a half for the first three. And in that case, you kind of look at how a pitcher does that first time through the order. But the Braves lineup has been so historic when it comes to scoring in the first inning, hitting a bunch of home runs. So any chance that I can take to back the Braves, especially early on in games, I'm certainly trying to do so. Yeah, with the Atlanta Braves, it has been absolutely incredible to take a look at this offense. And have there been any players in general that you've been able to take a look at with regards to their props, whether that be on the Braves or other teams, or is it just one of those things where you want to just keep back in this Braves team? Or in some cases, I know the LA Dodgers as well. They have been a very, very machine-like team with regards to generating runs as well. It's really trying to take advantage of some matchups and some pitchers that just aren't very good the first time through the order. You mentioned the Philadelphia part. If you notice, Taiwan Walker and Ranger Suarez both have had some massive issues in the first five innings with regards to giving up runs. Suarez is on quite the run here. That would have been an even longer run if the Marlins had ca- cashed in on some of their 10 hits that they had against him over six and a third innings. Taiwan Walker's a guy that, if you look often, he gives up runs in that first inning. And then it's funny, the rest of the game, he's pretty good. So, It's all about trying to find the starting pitchers who almost need openers but never get openers in Major League Baseball. And I'm so glad that you take a look at some of these pitchers that are a little bit lesser because there is one guy on the board, and I'm sure that you're looking at being able to fade him slash back another team on a couple of different fronts here as Matt Josephs, better known as Ben Major Band, is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And let's take a look at this Reds versus Guardians game that we've got for Wednesday with Noah Third Syndergaard going for the Guardians and Andrew Abbott on the bump for the Reds. Reds are between minus 145 to minus 155 with the total between 9.5 and and 10. And I know something that has been so profitable for many people is just taking a look at stolen bases against Noah Third Syndergaard because he cannot hold anyone on base to save his life, which that has been something so hilarious to take a look at. Is there anything in particular that you are going to be taking a look at in this game, whether that be the stolen bases, whether that be back in the Reds, in some form of capacity or maybe something else altogether. Yeah, it's the classic case of a guy who doesn't really strike out a lot of batters versus a team that does strike out a lot. And ironically, one of his last starts with the Los Angeles Dodgers was in Cincinnati against the Reds when he gave up six runs and seven hits in three innings. He had only three strikeouts in that game. So it'll be interesting to see what the number is that the book will hang. 14 of the last 17 right-handed starting pitchers have had five strikeouts or more against the Reds. They average over five strikeouts per game against them overall. They've had about 80-ish games against 
against righties. Sometimes there'll be righties that don't have numbers put on them, or there'll be openers that are included in that. But the Reds strike out a lot. Noah Syndergaard doesn't have strikeout stuff. Now, the interesting thing was last time out, he had five strikeouts against Toronto, but Toronto was on an epic streak at the time. Something like 16 or 17 straight right-handed starting pitchers had five strikeouts or more against them. He added to that. So that might give us a little bit of a higher number here. If we get like a four and a half, I might be interested on the under with the Reds. I just don't think Thor has uh, strikeout stuff. That's for sure. Yeah, with Thor, Thor Syndergaard, it has went straight down the toilet bowl now. The good news is he's been pretty good at not giving up a lot of walks, but I feel like that's really the only positive thing that I am able to say for our good friend Noah Thor Syndergaard. And I know you were talking about the Braves a little bit before. Unfortunately, we've got a to-be-determined starter for the New York Yankees. I'm thinking we should get Randy Vasquez, so hopefully we should be able to get some overnight numbers there. And I take it if we would get a two-and-a-half, if it were to be someone like a Randy Vasquez, you'd probably be back on that over with the Atlanta Braves. And certainly if it is him, I'll take a look at the the first three innings, uh, potentially if it's a one and a half there, because it's weird. Obviously, the Braves are doing really well with regards to the first five innings, but the three and a half number seems completely different to the two and a half number. I know it's just one run, so occasionally that's why I go to the first three innings. But if you look at the other side, Charlie Morton is going for the Braves. And one of the things, well, a couple of things you can look at here is look at his walk numbers, seven, four, three, five, and three, the last five uh, outings for him. And one of the other things is the books have consistently hung a four and a half with regards to hits allowed over for him. He has given up three and four his last two outings to the Mets and the Cubs. But then before that, six hits to the Angels, six hits to the Red Sox, six hits to the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. So if they hang another four and a half, we'll see. You know, the Yankees are one of those teams that messes around with their lineup every once in a while. So it's one of those things where I might have to wait till right before first pitch to put something in like that. But Charlie Morton, if you pay attention to some of these other markets like hits allowed and walks, uh, he's gone over in both of those a lot. Yes, he certainly has been. So I do think that that is something good to note there. And with the Atlanta Braves, my goodness, they're overs. They have been cashing in so many capacity as joining me on the show. We've got Matt Joseph, better known as Mid Major Matt. And I do think that this is a really interesting game as well because Blake Snell has given up right around about a one ERA in his last 14 or so starts. It has been incredible. But every time I watch a Blake Snell start, I feel like he's walking on eggshells that he's going up against the Baltimore Orioles team that they've been one of the top scoring teams in all of baseball on the road. We're getting a total of eight. It's Dean Kramer going for Baltimore and the Padres. They're right around a minus 160 to a minus 165 favorite. Any sort of an edge here, whether that be a player prop, whether that be an over and under, what have you, because I do think that regression really is doing for Blake Snell because he keeps giving up like four walks every single start, but he has been seemingly getting out of it every single time, and I feel like he's starting to play with a little bit of fire. Yeah, three walks or more in eight straight starts, and it's some tough teams too, you know, Arizona and the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Mets. There's a lot of different uh, type lineups there. Uh, I just feel like, as you said, it's time for the regression monster to come get him a little bit. Certainly, he's a different pitcher at home than he is on the road. He strikes out some more batters at home, so that's certainly something to look at here. The Orioles, when it comes to left-handed starting pitchers, averaging just 4.38 strikeouts per game. They've gone under in 21 of 36 
contests against them. They've struggled against some of the better lefties that they've seen. Jose Quintana had six, so that's a bit of a concern if you're looking at the under. Ranger Suarez had six. Christopher Sanchez had eight. They are kind of a mixed bag. There's no consistency when it comes to looking at the over or the under there. But yeah, I feel like the Orioles, the, what I might look at here is maybe if they give me an over one and a half runs like they did on Tuesday night with the Orioles in the first five innings, I think I might take a look at something like that. Blake Snell has his quote-unquote worst uh, numbers the first time through the order, and certainly if he's walking a lot of guys, the Orioles can take advantage of that. Yeah, with the Baltimore Orioles, they've been doing a nice job with their offense on the road. They don't necessarily do one thing great, but they do a lot of things very solid, which that has been so fun to be able to take a look at. And I know that team that's a little bit near and dear to you. You alluded to them a little bit earlier. That would be the Philadelphia Phillies going up against the Blue Jays team that you alluded to them a little bit earlier as well. Just has not been the Blue Jays offense that we were expecting this year, but this man has been very good. Kevin Gosman, he's had a couple of hiccups along the way, but all in all, I love the way that he's pitched this year. Going up against someone who is a little bit different home to road in Aaron Nola with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Most places have them right around about a minus 145, minus 150 or so favor with the total of eight. How do you gauge this one? Because with Philadelphia Phillies overall, I feel like they've had a nice year, but Aaron Nola, he's been a little bit unlucky this year, but this has not been the Aaron Nola of old this year. No, the area over five on the road. He's just a guy you can't rely on. It's so funny to watch, uh, you know, when I read some stuff about Aaron Nola and there's all these people who put out these plays that make sense. You know, Aaron Nola should do this against this team. They're not very good, but they clearly don't watch Aaron Nola because he struggles against a lot of easy teams. You look at that Kansas City Royals game a couple of weeks ago. He gives up five runs and eight hits and five and a third at home against the Royals, then comes back and pitches all right against the Nationals, but needs 105 pitches to get through five innings of work I can't in good conscience and this is where it comes in unfortunately that when you're a fan of a team you can't bet them clearly I can't bet on or against Aaron Nola he's capable of throwing a no hitter anytime out there and certainly the Toronto Blue Jays have a lineup that's certainly capable of being no hit but I can't just say with any sort of consistency and then you look at the Kevin Gossman side entering today the Phillies have exactly gone over and under the exact same amount of times they've gone over 56k props they've gone under 56 K props. They've gone over 40, uh, 40 times versus righties, under 39 times, and then of course 16 over, 17 unders against lefties. So there's really no rhythm to their strikeout props. Against the better pitchers, they have had some issues. They had seven strikeouts against Pablo Lopez, seven against Sonny Gray. Gosman's number is going to be pretty high though, and I'm never a fan of taking these high numbers because you need an absolutely perfect outing. So this is a tough one. I would lean to Toronto here, but both pitchers and both lineups just kind of scare me a little bit in their inconsistency. Yeah, both of these teams have had their ups and downs, and both bullpens have been relatively solid as well, especially the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies bullpen, that first month, month and a half of the season, it's a little bit slow to get going, but Craig Kimbrell has really been able to do a nice job here in the last, we're going to call it, 90 or so days. So, and has been standing out to me as well as Matt Josephs, better known as Ben Major Matt, does a tremendous job handicapping the great game of baseball. joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, and I know that Matt, you do a great job taking a look at some of these K props. And is there one or two that do stand out on the board for Wednesday? We do have a few TBD pitchers, so that does make it a little bit more difficult. But 
Has there been anyone on the board that has really been standing out to you for this Wednesday? Well, I'll be interested to see what Clayton Kershaw's number is. Maybe it's slightly lower. Also, I'm going to kind of have to go and read some of the quotes that came out after his last start. Obviously, last start against the Rockies, he only had, I believe, two strikeouts in like five innings. But I also think it was one of those things where he's just trying to get out there, throw some innings, get some you know stuff under his belt as he gets closer to the playoffs. Milwaukee is one of the worst teams when it comes to strikeouts against left-handed starting pitchers. 5.58 is what they're averaging against lefties. I'll be interested to see what the number is. It's probably going to come out around six and a half and seven and a half, uh, and then I'll have some sort of a decision. John Gray against the Angels. The Angels have struck out so much as of late. It feels like ever since Mike Trout left the lineup, this lineup has just been struggling a lot. I mean, you look at some of these guys who are getting a lot of strikeouts. Jose Okiti with seven strikeouts in five innings, and I believe that was his first start coming off of the IL, so that was a little bit of a concern. So I'll be interested to see what John Gray's number is. He's had a lot of four and a halves lately. I'm guessing they'll probably push it to five and a half or six and a half, making the decision a little bit tougher. But the Angels have certainly struck out a lot as of late. And then I'll give you one more uh, first five to potentially take a look at. And this is one of the things I've kind of noticed. The bad teams have had these stretches where their offense has been successful. The A's had a stretch in June or July where their first fives, especially on the road, were hitting. Well, that team right now is the Kansas City Royals. The Royals offense has started to perk up a little bit. And Luis Castillo has certainly been you know, one of those pitchers that you could potentially get a blow up on the road. He gave up seven runs in 10 hits uh, in six innings at the Angels. It'll be hopefully a one and a half number for the Kansas City Royals. I'd potentially consider that over on the one and a half. It's an offense that's hitting pretty well and that maybe they don't realize right now, you know, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, with the Kansas City Royals, they have been able to rise up a little bit with that offense. I've been lucky on the few unders I've been taking with them. I still remember and Saturday game and the Cardinals versus the Royals, that got very, very hairy. But yeah, with the Royals, they have been able to have Bobby Witt Jr. get on a nice stretch as well. Freddie Fermin as they rise up. And then I do want to get your thoughts on this game as well, because you talk about some of these bad offensive teams. Well, this team is not necessarily in the world's greatest offensive stretch. It's been a little bit hot and cold for them. The Detroit Tigers are going to be going up against the Minnesota Twins at Kenta Maeda. And Maeda, ever since he's come off the injury list, he has been legitimately one of the best pitchers in the American League, seeing a total of eight and a half. Anything that you might be looking at with regards to this game? Because I do take a look at Maeda, and I think that he's a bet-on pitcher until further notice with the way that he has been looking post-injured list stint. Well, on Thursday, I had the under two and a half earned runs by Maeda against the Tigers. I don't think I'm going to get that once again, as he's currently on a stretch of five straight starts where he's given up two earned runs or less. And if you go back even further, it's eight of his last nine. Ironically, that was that ninth team was the Oakland A's, who scored three runs and four hits in three innings against him back on July 14th. I have one of these things where I don't necessarily love playing starting pitchers in reverse matchups after just facing the team. His last start was in Detroit, so now he's getting Detroit once again. But he's a veteran, so I think he's got some things that he can do on that second start around. But if they book somehow hang an under two and a half number for his earned runs allowed, I'll probably be looking at that. And the number for Reese Olsen's strikeouts, the Minnesota Twins, I mean, they strike out a ton, it feels like, as a team. Of course, the concern is you have a very young pitcher who is now hitting the road to take on the Twins after striking him out eight times. I'll be interested to see what the number is. Probably be a five and a half number, which is about right in terms of how tough it'll be, considering he had three, two, five, and five his previous four starts. It's been interesting to take a look at Reese Olsen because it feels like he's gotten a little bit of bad luck on their contact, but I like him as another one of those Tigers pitchers that have some upside. Tigers just need to find a way to get some health with regards to some of their starting pitchers as well. They've had a lot of guys go on the injured list in recent years, but 
a man that is always available, a man that is always doing a great job, taking a look on so many different fronts as you, Matt. I know you do a tremendous job day in and day out looking at the baseball board, but I know that on top of that, you're getting set for what's going to be a tremendous football season. You're always researching the college basketball game as well, so let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, certainly. We're getting close to week zero of college football, which seems weird to say, but seven college football games. There's some potential spots that I'm interested in as long as there's no injuries or any sort of weird line movements or anything like that. Did win totals for every team in, in college football once again, so if there's ever any questions, and certainly any props. I know props are not your thing, and I know if sometimes people ask you about first fives and things like that, they can certainly ask me at Mid-Major Matt because, as I always say, we all have the same goal in mind. We all want to beat the Bucks. Absolutely. And Matt does a great job of doing just that. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends tremendous insights as he's been doing a great job looking on the player prop front, being able to find so much value on so many of these different spots. And it's always great to be able to get him aboard. A big thanks to Matt Joseph, better known as Ben Major Matt, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening breaking down every game every day in major league baseball this is the baseball betting show here is your host greg peterson 
And we're back here with Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to get Matt Joseph's aboard. You know I'm a little bit better as mid-major Matt does a great job on so many fronts. Taking a look at player props in baseball. He's getting set for the upcoming college football season. He does an amazing job when it comes to the college basketball front as well and so much more so. It was great to be able to pick his brain and get his insights today. A big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore 81, and we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, and the American League games, any interleague games, they are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 901, 902 on the betting board. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are on the road. They're facing off against the New York Mets. You don't mess with a Johan Oviedo goes for the Buccos, and Tyler McGill is on the bump for the Mets, and the Mets are a favorite of anywhere between minus 117 to a minus 130. Meanwhile, plus 105 to plus 112 is your number on the Buckos. And total on this game is 9. The unders any between minus 110 to a minus 115. The overs any between minus 105 to a minus 110. And with the Pirates, I needed at least a plus 140 to be able to take a shot. I recognize that things have been less than terrific for the New York Mets as far this season. But I do take a look at Tyler McGill. And the one thing that he's been able to do this far this season has been able to pitch at home. And eight starts at home. He's gotten the win in four decisions. He's four and two overall in decisions. 340 ADRA, giving up about 0.6 home runs per nine innings at home. Three and a half walks per nine innings. Would like to see that come down a little bit, but he's got an 820 road ERA. So he is a vastly different pitcher when he is at home rather than when he is on the road. Now coming off the injury list, has a lot of 11 runs, 10 of which earned in 10 innings, and has been a little bit less than terrific. And for Yoan Oviedo, he was on a really good stretch where he had given up a grand total of two runs over his previous three starts before going smack dab against the Cincinnati Reds in his last start and getting destroyed, giving up six runs in that one. It felt like the air was going to be going out of the balloon at some point. And for Yoan Oviedo, he's actually been a tad bit better on the road than he has been at home. 434 road ERA compared to a 450 home ERA. He gave it up about 1.2 home runs per nine innings when he has been on the road. But for Oviedo, the three and a half walks per nine innings, a little bit concerning. Gets about eight strikeouts per nine innings and goes up against a Mets lineup in which they have good matchers in there. You've got the Francisco's, Francisco Lindor, Francisco Alvarez. Both have 21 plus home runs as far as the season. Alvarez is hitting just a 225 and that is a big issue that you've got with this Mets team. You've got guys like a Jonathan Arus, who's hitting below a 200. They've been throwing out their Mark Vantinos, Daniel Mendick, guys like this at the bottom because you've got good thumpers at the top. Pete Alonso has been able to give you about a 365 on base over the last 30 days. North of 35 home runs. Brandon Nimmo's been able to move the line. Jeff McNeil's had a little bit of a down year, but he's still able to do an okay job of getting on base. But those bottom three to four guys, they just have not been able to give you much of anything. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you just don't have guys that are able to take you yard. Jack Swiniski has sort of been in and out of the fold recently as over the last 35 days, he's hitting below a buck 60. 
He's hit two home runs in this time span. He is the only guy on the roster other than Brian Reynolds will throw the 12 home runs as far this season. And for Reynolds, 17 home runs over the last three days, hitting about a 285. He's been able to do an okay job. Andrew McCutcheon moves the line as well, but they're looking to these younger guys like former number one overall pick Henry Davis, Lovar Piguero, guys like this to be able to step up, get some at-bats, and they just have not been able to give you too much. Now, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, if they do have an advantage in this game, in my opinion, it's in the bullpen. It's the New York Mets. It wasn't a good bullpen to start with. Now they trade away David Robertson and a few others. So you're left with bare bones in this bullpen. Brooks Raley has been able to give you some three ERA. And Montevino has a bit terrible. But these guys like Grant Hartwig and company, not necessarily guys that you want to be riding with. And for the Pirates, they've been a top half of the league bullpen with regards to ERA over the last three days. Ever since, really, Jose Hernandez has gotten back in the fold. It's been more respectable. David Benar has been one of your better closers in the big leagues as he, Anel Perdomo, Colin Olderman, Carmen Moldazinski, they've been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. Tommy Hatch coming over from the Blue Jays has been good in long relief as well, so that has been able to give you a little bit of encouragement, but I just don't think that the Pirates are going to be able to do a great job of being able to put back the ball in. Other than that one hiccup, Yohan Oviedo recently has been able to do a relatively okay job. I think that this is going to be a lower scoring game because New York is a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark, so I might tell it at 8.7, looking at the under. And with the Metropolitans, one to lay up to a minus 140 with them, so looking at the Mets on the money line. 9-3, 9-4 on the betting board. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They are on the road. They're facing off against the Colorado Rockies. Austin Gomber looks to Gomber up the Diamondbacks, and Lade Sassoni is going to be on the bump. For the Diamondbacks, see, Sony was not announced until the very late afternoon slash early evening, so we currently have no numbers up on this game, but I can tell you, I set my handicap to where I set the Arizona Diamondbacks at a minus 127, so we'll end up up to a minus 126 with them, plus 128 or higher. Going to be looking at Gomber and company, and somebody told them to wear a 12 or less. I am going to be taking a look at the over a 12 and a half or higher. I am going to be taking a look at the total under now. With the Colorado Rockies, typically this team... It's by far the biggest home and road splits that you're going to find in the big leagues with regards to hitting, but they just haven't really hit at home the way that they have in the past. They're still right around about 8th in the league with regards to home batting average, but you expect it to be much better. Ryan McMahon is really the only guy that's been able to give you north of 12 home runs as far this season. They trade away C.J. Crone. They also trade away Randall Gritchick, so that has been a big-time issue for this bunch. I have been able to have a few of these younger guys be able to step up as you've got Elias Diaz, who is the Hero of the All-Star Game, who's been able to hit about a 265 with a double-figure amount of formers for the team. Ezekiel Tovar, I believe, is now up to 13 home runs himself, so that helps out a tad. Nolan Jones has been able to give you a relatively respectable batting average, but the guys like Elias Montero, Brenton Doyle, Michael Toglia, they're all hitting below the Mendoza. I have 200. Brendan Rodgers, highly touted prospect for many years, just has done nothing for the team now. They get Charlie Blackman back to full, but that's been an issue for the years in the Diamondbacks. Going into the All-Star break, they were the biggest overachievers with regards to their slugging percentage, their actual slugging percentage in comparison to expectations, and we have seen that come down big time as their first 10 games in the month of August. They were averaging fewer than two runs per contest. They've picked it up a little bit, and going to Coors Field should be able to help that out a little bit as Got a pair of guys with 19 home runs. Quito Marte along Florida Scurriel with Marte being a bit about a 280. 
Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker, combined 46 home runs. Carroll's been going through some ups and downs recently, but I mean, these two guys have been able to do a solid job. It's the bottom of the fold. When you have to trot out there, someone like a Buddy Kennedy, Nick Ahmed, guys like this, because they've been dealing with the injury to Evan Longoria. That's been really hurting them, and with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you have to throw out there a guy in Sony after he had essentially a bullpen game yesterday, so this is a pitching staff that, other than... Really, your big few guys like Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly and company. It's not necessarily been going so well for them. And for Sony, this is going to be his second career start. First start was on the road against the San Francisco Giants. Gave up two runs of four and two-thirds innings. Not a bad prospect, but not necessarily the guy that you want starting, especially having to use up so much of the bullpen yesterday. Meanwhile, Austin Gomber has been on a really hot run. Two runs or fewer surrendered in eight out of his last nine starts. The team is 6-3 and three in this run. He's got a 272 ERA, 346 fielding independent. His strikeouts per nine rate, not good in this time span. He's gotten 31 strikeouts over the course of 53 innings. So that's not the reason why he's been able to pick it up. But he's only giving up about one and a half walks per nine innings in this stretch. Prior to this run, by the way, he had a 725 ERA. So he has been able to find it recently. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is not a great bullpen, but they've been performing a little bit better recently ever since Brent Suter got back in the fold as he's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. You've been able to get some good innings on the likes of Justin Lawrence, Tyler Kinley, giving you a sub-3-5 ERA. They pick up Justin Brule from the LA Dodgers and where the Arizona Diamondbacks over the last 35 days here, dead last in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Going into yesterday, last 30 days, 6.59 bullpen ERA. More than half a point higher than any other team in the big leagues in that time span. Miguel Castro is now up to about a 4 ERA. Really, the only guy in the bullpen that has been able to give you a sub-3-1 ERA is Kevin Ginkle at this point, as we've seen Scott McGow have his issues as well. I do still believe that the Arizona Diamondbacks are a bit of a better team, which is why I did make them minus 127 on the money line, willing to lay up to a minus 126 there, but give us a plus 128 or higher. I'll be willing to take a look at the Rockies, and then 12 or less looking at the over 12 half higher to the under, 905, 906. On the board, it is the Milwaukee Brewers. They are on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers, and Wade Miley hopes to have a party in Milwaukee for the Brewers. The Brewers are in between plus 190 and plus 195 underdogs. Between minus 215 to a minus 230 is your number on the Dodgers. That run line on the Dodgers, by the way, minus 105 with a total of 8.5. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. I was willing to go up to a minus 124 on that Dodgers run line. North of 80% of Dodgers' wins as far this season have been by multiple runs. So I do feel like if the Dodgers are going to win this game, it is going to be by multiple runs. And for Clayton Kershaw, first start back, he had spent quite a bit of time on the injured list, right around six or so weeks. He looked very solid, giving up one run over the course of five innings against Colorado Rockies. Now, granted, it was also against the Colorado Rockies, but you know what? That is something that you do like to see. And for the LA Dodgers, they have a deal with a few ailments with regards to their lineup. They have a deal with J.D. Martinez being in and out of the fold. That has been a little bit of a hamperance, but still, this is a Dodgers team that they have been able to rip the cover off the ball. If it wasn't for the fact that, oh, that team by the name of the Atlanta Braves exists, I mean, it would be absolutely insane to be taking a look at how much better they've been than pretty much every other team not named the Braves with regards to their overall power numbers in the National League. And the Dodgers don't necessarily do it with batting average. You're right around 12th in the big leagues with regards to batting average, but they're one of the top teams with regards to on-base percentage because they do such a good job 
of being able to draw walks. They are the number one team with regards to walks drawn on a per at-bat basis with the LA Dodgers. They have put up right around 5.5 runs per contest, and they go up against a Milwaukee Brewers team that are currently last in the National League with regards to batting average. So while you've got someone like a Freddie Freeman on the flip side who's been able to give the LA Dodgers right around a 340 average, 23 home runs in a normal year, he's probably leading the MVP race, by the way. Max Muncie, he only hits right around about a buck 95, but his on-base percentage with all those walks is more around a 335, 28 home runs. Well, you've got all that for the Dodgers. You just don't have that with the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, Christian Yelich has been able to give you a 375 on base. You love what you're seeing there, but this is also a Brewers team that they rank in the bottom three in the National League with regards to home runs on a per-game basis on the road. You have been able to have now six different guys give you at least 12 home runs for the Brewers and Carlos Santana, Yelich, who I mentioned before, William Thomas, Joey Weimer, William Contreras, and Rowdy Tellez. But, I mean, William Contreras, he's been able to give you about a 345 on base, and he and Yelich, the only two guys... They're really inning above a 235 for this bunch. And you take a look at Sal Freelich. He's been able to give you about a 260. And by hitting above 235, I meant the guys that have been able to give you that power, by the way. Because you do have someone like an Andrew Marisario who's been able to do a good job of being able to get on base ever since they've been giving him a few more at-bats. I give him some credit. He's been able to give you about a 370 on base. But the way that the Brewers are going to be looking to get this done is via pitching and really this bullpen for the Milwaukee Brewers over the last 35 days. This has been a top five team in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERAs. You've had the likes of Hobie Milner, Joel Pions, Abner Uribe, Devin Williams, all be able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. They pick up Andrew Chafin from the years on the Diamondbacks. He's been a little bit of a hot mess, but all in all, for the Brewers, they've been able to have this good bullpen pitching, but now you've got a pitch contact guy in Wade Miley taking the mound against a team that does a very good job of being able to put back to ball for Miley. I'm just waiting for the air to go out of the balloon. He's got a 290 ERA, but a 442 fielding dependent. He only gets right around six strikeouts per nine innings, giving up nearly three walks per nine innings. Says done a solid job keeping the ball in the yard, giving up one home run per nine innings, but I just do not think that this is going to be long-lasting. I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get to him and pick up a multi-run win. I did something I told it at 8.3. I just don't think that the Brewers are going to be able to get to Kershaw, along with the bullpen of the Dodgers that they themselves have been very much approved. For the LA Dodgers, beginning part of the year, this bullpen was very much less than savory, but the likes of Caleb Ferguson, Bruce Arter, Gryderall, Evan Phillips have been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA ever since you've gotten into the fold as well. Ryan Brazier, who comes over from the Boston Red Sox and Dodger Blue, he's been able to give you a sub-2 ERA as well, so going to be taking a look at that run line of the Dodgers and the 8.5 under. 907-908 is going to be the DK Network right up pick. We've got the Detroit Tigers on the road against the Minnesota Twins. Ketta Maeda is going to be on the bump for Minnesota, and Reese Olsen is on the bump for Detroit. In FSC total, the under is minus 115, the over is minus 105. With the Twins, they are between minus 175 to minus 185. Favorites between plus 150 and plus 165 is your number on Detroit. In terms of the side, I set the Twins minus 198 on the money line. That run line you're finding at a plus 115 to a plus 120. I did need... Pretty much any sort of plus number to take a shot here. We have certainly gotten that plus number, so I'm going to be taking a look at the Twins on the run line. But my right-up pick, if this sounds familiar from last week, about six or seven days ago, that's because it is. We're going back to the under in the same pitching matchup that we cashed with, I believe, last Thursday. Might have been last Wednesday, but I thought it was last Thursday. Last time these two teams faced off, 3-0 slog in Detroit, and... Kenta Maeda continues to be absolutely tremendous 
for the Minnesota Twins. His numbers are a little bit warped because prior to going on the injured list, he just had this atrocious start where he gave up 10 runs. I think it was against the New York Yankees. Hits the injured list. And ever since coming off the injured list, Kenta Maeda posting up a 236 ERA with 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings and nine starts, allowing three runs or fewer in every one of these starts. Meanwhile, for Reese Olsen, it feels like things are starting to come together for him. He had given up four-plus runs in three out of his last four starts prior to his last start. He goes out there, he hurls six scoreless against the Twins, and I think that's a sign of things to come. His fielding independent is about 0.4 points lower than his 445 ERA. It's at a 408. He's been able to get 8.6 strikeouts and 2.4 walks per nine innings. Gives up about 1.2 to 1.3 home runs per nine innings, and that's a little bit of a concern because with the Twins, they are number seven in the big leagues with regards to home runs on a per-at-bat basis, and if you have five separate guys, they'll be able to give you at least 15 home runs. Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo, Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, and Carlos Correa. For one, Buxton, dealing with injury again. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. But all these guys entering into Tuesday, 306 on base percentage or lower. Now you do have a few guys that will be able to move the line. Ryan Jeffers, Edward Juliana, both been able to give you north of a 375 on base. Donovan Solano has been able to do a very solid job of being able to move the line as well. But you're noticing that Juliana has been dealing with a little bit of injury as well. Not on the injured list, but he's been sort of day-to-day. Matt Walner is someone that I like. Eight home runs in his first 100 at-bats this far this season. Then you do have a pair of bullpens that they're average. Going into Tuesday, Twins were right around 14th in the league with regards to bullpen ERA. You had the Tigers right around 16th, but I do think that there is some upside with these bullpens because killed. Theobar is back at the fold for the Twins. He's been able to give you sub-2 ERA. Yohan Duran, along with Griffin Jacks, have been able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. And Emilio you'll be gone. Has actually been halfway decent thus far this season. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, Jason Foley, Andrew Vasquez have been able to supply sub-3 ERAs. You've been able to get Tyler Holden to be able to give you some good innings as well. I think that Alex Lang is going to be able to pick it up just a tad, but this is a Tigers lineup that they just have not been able to get on base on the road. They have got the league's worst batting average on the road thus far this season. Now, Spencer Torkelson has really started to heat up. He's leading the way with 15 home runs this far this season. You take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and it's been big for this bunch. Three home runs over his last 45 at-bats entering into yesterday, being able to do a better job of being able to get on base, but still have some suspectness there. Riley Green has been able to in that neighborhood about a 300 as well, but I mean, with Torkelson, who I just mentioned, along with obviously Javi Baez, Eric Haas, Jake Rogers, Nick Maton, you just go down the list of guys in a 220 or lower. It is rampant. They are, the Tigers are in the bottom three with regards to on-base percentage as well. Fourth worst in the league with regards to home runs on a per-at-bat basis as well. So you've got some massive issues there. I do think that as a result, the Minnesota Twins are going to be able to get payback for the 3-0 loss that they took last time that Kenta Maeda was on the mound. And I think that Maeda just continues to do his thing. And I think that both these starting pitchers have a very good time out in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly environment. So my DK Network write-up pick is going to be on the under. Semi-tell is 7.9. So even if we get down to an 8, looking at the under and with the Twins, here at a plus number, going to be taking a look at that run line. 9-9-9-10 on the betting board. It is the Walker, Texas Rangers, and they're going to be playing OCLA Angels. For the Angels, it was going to be Reed Detmers. This is currently one that is off the board. Meanwhile, 55 Shades of John Gray is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. We were seeing some initial openers out there on the Rangers with a total between 9 and 9.5 and on the 9. The juice was on the over. On the 9.5, the juice was on the under. With the Rangers, they were between minus 164 to minus 175, right around plus 150. Your number on the LA Angels. And as of right now, we are still seeing Reed Detmers listed on ESPN. And 
if we do get this Detmers versus John Gray start at anything above a plus 150, I'd be set. I'd be taking a look at the Angels. Need at least a plus 152. Reed Detmers has been just dealing with some bad luck this year. I feel like he's a better pitcher than what the ERA and the raw stats would indicate as. For Denver's, he has been mowing them down. He's been able to get right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, needs to work on the 3.7 blocks per nine innings because the bullpen of the LA Angels is absolutely atrocious. In the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to ERA over the last 45 days, we've seen Carlos Aceves start to go down the toilet bowl a little bit. Matt Morris still been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. I would say Soriano's been able to do an okay job, but really past that, you don't have a lot of speak to speak of and you don't have a lot of liability with regards to this bullpen, but 527 ERA, more like a 437 with regards to his fielding independence. So I do think that this should be checking upward. And then with John Gray, he just has not been able to do the world's greatest job of being able to mow them down this year. His strikeout numbers are way down now. He's coming off of one of his best starts of the season. One on the road against the San Francisco Giants. You may recall that was a DK Network rate of pick as well. We cashed with John Gray on that one as he's been able to get right around seven ass strikeouts to three blocks per nine innings, but 365 ERA compared to a fielding independent of a 410. And I do have some question marks with John Gray whenever he is pitching in Texas. And we've noticed this with a few of the Rangers pitchers. They pitch much better on the road than they do at home. For Gray especially, 276 road ERA, 450 home ERA. For Gray at home, he has given up about 1.3 to 1.4 home runs per nine innings on the road. This follows up more like 0.7 home runs per nine innings in the opponent's batting average. Raises by north of 60 points. Now, what else goes up is the fact that the Texas Rangers, they do a much better job of being able to put back to ball at home. At home, they're averaging nearly 1.6 to 1.7 home runs per game. That is right around one home run per game when they are on the road, and they are putting up 6.2 runs per contest when they are at home. Yep, if you are guessing, that is the best mark in the big leagues. And if they really want to, this is a squad in the Texas Rangers that one through nine could all have guys hitting at least a 259, with the guy hitting a 259 being Adolis Garcia entering into this series was giving you 29 home runs, north of 80 RBI. He has been absolutely tremendous. You've still got Corey Seager hitting in the neighborhood of about a 350, and his first 300 at-bats was able to slug out 20 home runs. Someone like Ezekiel Duran has been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers while hitting a 285. Nathaniel Blow has done a good job moving the line. They do it against lefties. They do it against righties. And then you do have a LA Angels squad that they've really regressed with regards to their offense. Going into the game on Tuesday, they had scored four runs or fewer in pretty much seven out of their last eight games. He saw Shoyo Tani being able to give you 41 home runs, but you tell that it feels like his back is getting sore from carrying the entire stinking team. You've got Hunter Renfro who's been able to give you 17 home runs, and you got Brandon Drury back to fold. He's been able to move the line. He, along with Randall Gritchick, both a double-figure amount of homers, both hitting above 270, being able to move the line, but the bottom fold with the catcher spot along with someone like an Eduardo Escobar. You do need a little bit more there. And then with the Texas Rangers, bullpen has been a little bit suspect this year, but I do think that there should be a little bit of positivity here for it. With the Rangers, bottom 10 team with regards to bullpen area, but Brock Burke, along with Aroldis Chapman, Will Smith, these men and guys being able to give you a sub-3-5 area, Jose LeClerc has been able to do a solid job as well, but I do have my trepidation with John Gray when he is at home, and I do think that Reed Detmers is a little bit of a better pitcher than what was indicated. Now, if we do get a different pitcher than Reed Detmers with regards to the Angels, this is probably going to be a number that I do send northward, but 
at a plus 152 or higher. If we do get Reed Demers, I'd be looking at them on the money line. And I did sell my total aware. And Demers versus Gray, 9.5 or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over 10 or higher to the under. If you get a different pitcher for the LA Angels, probably goes up to a 10 or less. I'd be taking a look at the over 10 and a half or higher to the under. So we shall see there. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners, they throw their facing off against Kansas City Royals. It is old to be determined. It was going to be on the bump for the Royals. Meanwhile, you do have a Luis Castillo who's going to be on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. So this is another game that's off the board. And I was seeing a little bit earlier Alec Marsh as a projected starter. And if it is Alec Marsh who does go for the Kansas City Royals, I did set the Seattle Mariners at a minus 233 on the money line. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 148 on that run line. And somebody told to wear an 8 or less, I would be taking a look at the over an 8.5 rider to the under. For the Kansas City Royals, if they throw out their bullpen game, it's going to be a relatively comparable number, as I know that they're probably going to be having to throw out their Angel Zerpa for a start within the next few days as well. So not going to go into Alec Marsh too much, other than if you do see Mr. Marsh getting a start and or if he's a bulk guy, my goodness, it has not been going well for him. A 627 ERA with a fielding independent that is somehow, someway even higher. And it's not like if you get someone other than Alec Marsh, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot better as the Kansas City Royals are a bottom five team with regards to bullpen ERA. Taylor Clark being out of the fold, honestly, is probably a good thing for the team. He was posting up about a six ERA. Carlos Hernandez has been relatively okay. He might be able to give you a few innings, but man, it's a Royals bullpen that is relatively rough, and they go up against someone in Luis Casio. Had his home and road splits be pretty demonstrative towards the beginning part of the season, but he's been able to iron things out recently. He's got a career low with regards to walks per nine rate this far this season. He's been able to do a nice job mowing them down with right around 10 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Has been giving up some hard contact, though, especially on the road. On the road, he has been giving up north of about 1.5 Five home runs per nine innings, 375 roadie, right? Compared to a 270 ERA at home. And in his last two starts, gave up a combined eight runs over the course of 12 innings. So that is a little bit concerning. And for the Royals, credit where credit is due. The offense has been looking quite a bit better recently. The offense going to yesterday, they had scored at least four runs in nine out of their last 11 games. This is still a bottom five team with regards to runs per game. This is still a bottom five team with regards to on-base percentage. I'm not going to have this be an end-all, be-all. You like to see that they're showing a little bit of fight, but I don't think that this is something that we can expect to be sustainable. Now, Bobby Witt Jr. hitting above a 300 over the last 35 days. That has been solid. He and Salvador Perez have combined 41 home runs. Perez has been with about a 250, and then Michael Garcia along Freddie Fermin. Really do a nice job of being a move line. Garcia hitting about a 285. Fermin has been hit above a 300. So these two guys have really been able to come up big for the scene, but you still do have the guys towards the bottom of the fold. I'm talking about guys like Samon Taylor, Michael Massey, MJ Melendez hitting below a 225. That have been rough, Kyle Isbell. It's more around a 235, but 267 on base. This is not a team that really does a great job of being able to draw some walks. And for the Seattle Mariners, over the last three days, this has been a top five team with regards to their offense in the American League. Now, they're a boomer bust team. They are a bunch that they don't necessarily hit for the world's greatest average or in the bottom six in the big leagues with that regard. But Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, Julio Rodriguez, Oscar Hernandez, they've all now been able to give you at least 16 home runs with Cal Raleigh entering into yesterday with 20 home runs, thumping out six home runs over his last 14 games going into yesterday. So 
That is a massive for the squad. So Michael Suarez, 323 with regards to his on base. Uh, those top four managers, he has been the top guy with regards to his on base percentage, but all but one of them, at least a 302 on base entering into yesterday. They have a deal with a little bit of an ailment to J.P. Crawford. I think that he's still going to be on the seven-day injured list for this game. He's been able to give you about a 380 on base, so that does hurt this team. Ty France, I know, has been a pretty big cog for this bunch as well, but he's been a little bit up and down as well. But what the Mariners do have going for them, a bullpen that ranks in the top three with regards to ERA. The likes of Taylor Cicado, Justin Topa, Isaiah Campbell, Trent Thornton. They trade away their closer on Paul Sewell, but Andres Munoz. These guys, they've all been good. Being able to give you some 3-4 ERA. Matt Brash has really been able to come on as well. I do think that this should be some pretty good domination by the Seattle Mariners. If it is Luis Castillo against Alec Marsh, or I aim for that matter, pretty much a bullpen game of the Royals. I'm willing to lay up to about a minus 148 with that Mariners run line. And we'll be setting my total to where an 8 or less looking at the over, ain't half or higher to the under. 9-13, on the bang board. The Tampa Bay Rays are on the road. They're facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Aaron Zavalli goes for the Rays and for the Giants it is to be determined so this game is off the board. This is Ross Stripling's turn for the Giants and with the Giants, I think that they're trying to determine whether or not they're going to be going for an opener or if they're going to be going with Ross Stripling. And Ross Stripling did well last time they threw an opener for him, but he's actually had an ERA that's been a little bit higher coming out of the bullpen rather than when he's been a straight-up starter. Now, both are north of a 475, so it's not like he's been the Mona Lisa Vito pitching this season, but I will say for Ross Stripling, he's been on a nice run, three runs or fewer in each out of his last five appearances, going at least five innings in four out of those five. Now, if you take a look at things overall for the season. 510 ERA, 526 fielding independent, getting just seven strikeouts per nine innings, and giving up a little bit north of two home runs per nine innings as well. He did in his last start give up two home runs, so that is something that you do want to be noting. And this is the Tampa Bay Rays team that is going to have Wander Franco out of the fold. Yeah, I'll let you look up as to why. So they're probably going to be having to trot out there as Lovius Basby. Hopefully, I said that correctly. Young 22 year old that has been coming up in the program, but you saw for the Tampa Bay Rays, it with Franco out of the fold, pretty much eight different guys on the roster that are able to give you at least 14 home runs, and all but two of these guys hitting at least a 245. Isak Paredes has been able to do a good job moving the line, 23 home runs out of him. Jose Series, one of those two guys that doesn't necessarily give you a lot of average, but 23 home runs at about 275 at-bats. Randy Arozarena has been a little bit up and down, but he had a nice series against the Cleveland Guardians with a walk-off hit. And I do think the biggest fear for the Tampa Bay Rays, this bullpen being overworked because they have been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last three days. This Rays team, they've been a bottom half of the league team with regards to their bullpen ERA. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, the saving grace for this team because they have been averaging right around 3.6 runs per contest since the All-Star break. That is a bottom three mark in the big leagues as... Then the fact that they do have the number one bullpen with regards to ERA since the beginning of the month of May. Both of the Rodgers brothers, Camilio Duvall, able to throw in there Ryan Walker, who has served as an opener in the past. Scott Alexander, he was the opener the last time Ross Stripling was on the mound. All these guys since the beginning of the month of May at sub-3-3 ERA. Meanwhile, for the Giants, you do have a lot of guys that they do a nice job with their platooning splits, righties versus lefties. You've got seven different guys with at least 11 home runs. Nobody north of 15 home runs. J.D. Davis, Wilmer Flores, Michael Conforto, all have 15 home runs. And all these guys give you at least a 324 on base. But for the Giants, they average fewer than four runs per contest at home just because they do play at Oracle Park. It is a case where the offense has been much better when they have been on the road, and that's part of the reason why they're Home run numbers have been suppressed a little bit. And part of the reason why as well, their pitching numbers are a little bit better when they are at home. And for Aaron Savali, I've been waiting on a little bit of regression for him because 
Aaron Savalia has been on this magnificent run where he has given up two runs or fear in 10 out of his last 12 starts, but I just still, quite frankly, don't buy it. He's been getting 6.7 strikeouts to two and a half walks per nine innings, 261 ERA. I'm not saying that this is like some bum that should be having a five ERA or anything like that, but a 261 ERA for the stuff that he has, it just doesn't feel quite right. His fielding dependent is a 341, and I think that that would be more of a leveling out if he does get back to more like a 3233 ERA. That's sort of the picture that I do think that he is. So it's a little bit of an interesting spot here. I did set the race at a minus 122 on the money line in this spot, so I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 121 there if it's tripling slash. A opener followed by stripling and made my total an 8.3 to where an eight or less looking at the over eight and a half prior to the under. 915-916 on the main board. It is the Houston Astros and they are on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins as Justin Verlander is on the bump for Houston and Jesus Lazardo gets the start for the Miami Marlins. 7.5 is the total. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under is between minus 110 and even money. Between minus 120 to a minus 125 is the number on Houston. Between plus 105 to a plus 112 is your number on the Marlins. I did set the Astros at a minus 143. I'm going to be willing to back them for Justin Verlander. He is back where he had so much success the last few seasons that he does look like a little bit of a different pitcher now that he is back in a Houston Astros uniform. First two starts out, goes to combine 13 innings, does give up five runs against the Angels and the New York Yankees, but all in all, I do like the form that Justin Verlander is in. The swing and miss stuff is down. You're just going to be finding that with a guy that is right in the neighborhood of 40 years old, but I do think that for Justin Verlander, he is going to be able to go out and have some success, and he really has been able to turn things around after it was a little bit of a shaky start to the season. I do think that people forget that he did begin the season on the injured list, and in each out of his last nine starts, he has been able to give up three runs or fewer in every one of them. Now, there's been quite a few, like, twos and threes in the full, but at the same time, he's been able to do a nice job on that front, being able to hold down the fort as in the stretch of the last nine starts, he has been posting up an ERA right around a buck ninety-five now. 338 fielding independent, and then the time span getting about eight strikeouts per nine innings while giving up three home runs over the course of 55 and a third innings. But he does get to go up against the Miami Marlins team that they revamped themselves at the trade deadline. They were able to pick up Josh Bell, who's had great success with Miami. I think that he's up to four home runs already in a Miami Marlins uniform. Got Jake Berger. He's been able to give you 25-plus home runs as far as the season. On base is not necessarily there, but you've got Ori Solera as well, giving you 30-plus home runs. So no longer is this the same Miami Marlins team that has been a bottom-five team with regards to home runs per game this season. You still have Luis Rice, who's been able to 365 now. For the entirety of the season, the Marlins are a top-five team with regards to batting average. I do think that this is going to be going downward a little bit, even though you still have the likes of Jazz Shislam, along with Isu Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, guys like this, hitting for about a 255 to a 265. You've had a little bit of suspectness at the catcher spot, but all in all, these guys have been able to do a solid job. And for the Houston Astros, since the beginning of the month of June, they are jockeying between one and two with regards to most runs per game between they and the Texas Rangers. You got Jose Altuve back to the fold, about a 425 on base. He got lifted from the game yesterday, so you do want to be checking in there. But Jordan Alvarez, about a 385 on base, along Kyle Tucker, both of these guys, 20 plus home runs this season. Hopefully, they don't trot out their Martin Maldonado anymore. Yanir Diaz is the far better catcher. He's been able to hit a 275, 16 bombs as far as the season. Maldonado leads a leg at pass balls and hits below 200. So, that's been a little bit of a mess. And for the Miami Marlins, they are shaping up a little bit more with regards to their bullpen. They bring in David Robertson. He has been a solid closer thus far this season. But you still have 
Guys like Uscarbra, Zobin, and company that aren't necessarily super-duper trustworthy. And Rasul Lazardo, this guy's been able to bring it all season long, but he has been going through a little bit of a funk recently. Last two starts, giving up 11 runs and 8 and two-thirds innings. I don't necessarily think that that's a real Asus Lazardo, though, as he gets shelled by the Rangers, gets shelled by the New York Yankees, and for that matter, he's given up three-plus runs in four out of his last five starts. Prior to this really bad run, was posting up more like a 334 ERA. That's more of the pitcher that I think that he is for Lazardo 331 home ERA compared to a 45 ERA on the road as well, giving up about 0.9 home runs per nine innings at home. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, this has been a top-10 team with regards to bullpen ERA, and last year, they were actually number one in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. We have seen Ryan Sanek take a step back. Seth Martinez, who was a big part of the bullpen last year, he's actually now down at the minor league level, but they bring in Kendall Graveman. You've got he, Hector Neris, along with Ryan Presley, Phil Maton. These have been guys that will give you a sub-3-2 ERA, and then Hector Neris has been able to do a very solid job as well, so I do think that these guys should be able to do a solid job holding it down, and I do think that Justin Verlander going to be able to find it in the start, and I think that Ace Cesardo going to see a nice little reversal as well. I think this is just a tad bit too low because I think that Verlander gives up more like two, three runs in the start. And I think that Lozardo does the same. And I do think that the Astros bullpen gets them to victory along with just a little bit more firepower in their lineup. So set the Astros at a minus 143 on the money line. Going to be one to lay that. So my total is 7.7. So also going in on the over. 917-918 on the main board. It is the Cleveland Guardians. They are on the road. They're facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. And Yes, we are on to Cincinnati as Andrew Rabbit is on to getting the start for them and Noah Thor Syndergaard is on the bump for Cleveland. Nine and a half to ten is the total on the ten. Under is minus 120. The over is even on the nine and a half. Over is between minus 115 to a minus 120. Then under, it is anywhere between even and minus 105. I'm in lockstep with our good friend Matt Josephs. I do think that this is going to be a rough go of it for our good friend in Noah Thor Syndergaard who just doesn't have swing and miss stuff anymore. Now, has Noah Thor Syndergaard been a tad bit unlucky on balls in play? Yes, he has. And also take a look at that start they ate against the Houston Astros in his first time out as a Cleveland Guardian. And that's certainly not the Noah Thor Syndergaard that we should be expecting either for Syndergaard. Does a good job not giving up a lot of walks. He's only been giving up two walks per nine innings, but five dash strike cuts per nine innings, 635 ERA, 579 fielding dependent, giving up right around two home runs per nine innings. And the Reds, they've gotten themselves up being right around a league average team with regards to home runs on a per game basis. They have been dealing with a few injuries, though. They're without Jonathan India. They're without Jake Fraley. So they have been trotting out there some lesser guys. Yesterday you saw some like TJ Hopkins getting the start. So that is hurting the Cincinnati Red Seam a little bit. But some of guys are able to move the line. Spencer Steer, Henry Ramos, along with Matt McClain, they've all been able to give you at least a 350 on base. Elliot David Cruz is in a little bit of a funk right now, but it feels like he's starting to bust out of that just a little bit. And when it comes to Spencer Steer, he has been able to supply 18 home runs thus far this season. Christian Encarnacion Strain. He's been a little bit up and down since he's gotten to the big league bubble. He's not been able to supply a ton of power, but he's been able to give you a few doubles. He's been able to move the line a little bit as well. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Guardians, this is a team that's just completely powerless at this point. You've got one guy that has been able to give you north of 11 home runs this season with Josh Naylor currently on the injured list. Maybe Jose Ramirez has done a nice job being able to supply 18 home runs. And for the Guardians, they've made the playoffs hitting for the second few home runs in the big leagues. They did so last year, but they were doing so with the likes of Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, Andres Jimenez, Stephen Kwan, Ahmed Rosario. 
all being able to hit for at least a 270. Rosario is no longer in the fold, and Stephen Kwan is the only of these guys currently hitting above 255. So that's a massive issue there. The guys like Gabriel Rias, Bo Naylor at the bottom of the fold, they just have not been able to give you a lot of And for the Cleveland Guardians, over the last three days, this has been a bunch that has been giving you a bullpen ERA that is below league average as well. Overall for the season, still a team that does rank in the top five with regards to that bullpen ERA as you still have the likes of Angel De Los Santos, Eli Morgan, obviously the closer, and Emmanuel Classe, Trevor Stephen, guys like this being able to give you a 3-4 ERA or better. Michael Kelly's been able to do a solid job on that front as well. But the Cincinnati Reds, they're a relatively league average bullpen in terms of their ERA as well as the likes of Ingabo, Alexis Diaz, Alex Young, Lucas Sims. Maybe they will give you about a sub-365 ERA. And I do think that for Andrew Abbott, he's going to be doing for a little bit of regression, but I do think they should be able to do a solid job against the Cleveland Guardians team that, once again, they have not been able to do a good job of being able to go yard. Now what the Guardians do a solid job of as well is not swing and miss a lot, and Andrew Abbott has been a little bit more of a swing and miss guy. He's been able to get right around 9.8 strikeouts per nine innings. He is surrendering a little bit over three walks per nine innings, but the Guardians don't necessarily draw a lot of walks as well. For Abbott, 295 ERA, 386 fielding dependent. Coming in, having given up a grand total of 12 runs over this last three starts, I do think that he should be able to give a little bit more of a positive start here. I do think that the Reds are going to be able to get to Syndergaard after they really just did not have a lot of offensive success yesterday. This is a spot where I did sell my total at 10.2. I do think that Abbott, he's going to be continuing to be doing for a little bit of regression as well. So going to be taking a look at the 9.5 to a 10 over. And with the Cincinnati Reds, set them on the money line at a minus 166. If you're looking at this run line, you're finding that in the neighborhood about a plus 125. I was willing to take a plus 110 or higher. So going to be looking at the Reds laying run in F as I think they get to Syndergaard to go along with this total over. 919-920 on the betting board. It is the Oakland A's and they are on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Matthew Libertor is going for the cards and Paul Blackburn walks the plank for Oakland. Nine and a half is the total. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. With St. Louis, they're anywhere between minus 172 to a minus 180. In between plus 150 and plus 163 is your number on Oakland. And for Oakland, I needed at least a plus 159 to take a shot. We're seeing plenty of plus 160 out there. I'm going to be willing to ride with them now. For the Oakland A's, it has been very much a trying season. And Matthew Lubitor actually coming off of a really nice start. He's the young guy that I think... Two to three years from now, he could be a really nice pitcher. I just don't think that he's ready for the big league bubble. Put it together with eight scoreless settings on the road against the Tampa Bay Rays. But the Rays, at that point, they were in a little bit of dysfunction. And it's been very strange, to say the least, as prior to that. For Libertor, he had given up at least three runs at each out of his last four starts. He's been a little bit unlucky this year. Libertor has 461 fielding dependent compared to a 572 ERA. But he gets six strikeouts at three and a half walks per nine innings. Has done a relatively solid job of being able to contain the hard contact, but I still have massive question marks with him. And you do have a St. Louis Cardinals team that they do a nice job of being put back to ball. This has been a bunch that has been in the top eight in the big leagues with regards to home runs on a per at bat basis. And for the Cardinals, they just do such a better job of being able to score those runs at home rather than on the road. More like 4.4 runs per contest on the road for the Cardinals, a little bit over five runs per game at home. The two Nolans, Nolan Arenado, Nolan Gorman, both of these guys, maybe they will give you 23 plus home runs as far this season. Paul Goldschmidt has been in a little bit of a funk with regards to power, but still has been able to do a solid job being able to move the line and then You've been able to have Tommy Edmond provide a little bit more over the weekend. He had that multi-home run game against the 
Kansas City Royals whenever you've had in the starting lineup, Wilson Contreras says he's sort of been in and out of the fold. He's actually been very good over the last 60 days, providing north of a 400 on base as well. So, I mean, overall, the lineup has been just fine for the St. Louis Cardinals. What has been the issue has been the bullpen pitching. They don't have a single bullpen relief piece, and it currently has a sub-3-5 ERA. For the Cardinals, they're a bottom-7 team with regards to bullpen ERA overall for the season. Guys like Drew Verhagen and company, I mean, they're not bad. You don't have a single guy that really has like an atrocious like ADRA or anything like that, but they really don't have anyone that's reliable either. They're 18th in the league with regards to bullpen ERA in the time span. The A's are 19th. They're very comparable. Now, for the Oakland A's overall for the season, deadlines with regards to bullpen ERA, Sammy Long just has not been able to give you a lot of good innings. Trevor May has been all over the place. They're now looking to someone like uh, Francisco Perez to be able to give you innings. So, it's been less than terrific, but you've been able to have Austin Pruitt be able to do a relatively solid job. And for Paul Blackburn, I still remember last year he had some of the most hilarious home and road splits ever. He had north of an 80 ERA when he was at home. He had a sub-225 ERA on the road. That has ironed out a little bit more this season for Blackburn. He's actually been incredibly unlucky this year. 389 home ERA compared to a little bit north of a 5 ERA on the road, but if you take a look at things overall for the season, he's got an ERA and suffering right around about a 452. His fielding independent is darn near a point lower as Blackburn has really been able to upgrade with regards to his swing and miss stuff. And so he's been a guy that has been right around about six and a half strikeouts per nine innings. He's up to nine strikeouts at 3.4 walks per nine innings. 373 overall is his fielding independent, giving up a little bit less than a home run per nine innings. So he's been able to do a solid job on that front. You just don't have a lot of guys that are really able to hit for this Oakland A's team. They're trotting out there a bunch of young guys that are hoping to be able to find something. Zach Eloff has been one of those nice additions for this team. He's been able to about a 275, but he was the only guy in the starting lineup yesterday that entered into the game with north of a 250 batting average. It's Terry Ruiz. They're batting him now in the 9-0. He's been one of the leaders in the American League with regards to stolen bases and does a solid job moving the line. Brent Rooker, he's been able to give you 18 home runs, north of a 320 on base. Jonathan Diaz has given you a little bit of something, but guys like Tyler Sodomstrom along with Lawrence Butler, they're probably not prepared for the big leagues they're getting at bat. So it's a good old something's got to give game. I did sub my Tola at a 9.1 here at a 9.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I do think that Blackburn is doing for some positivity. And at north of a plus 158, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the Oakland A's on the money line as well. 921, 922 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox are on the road facing off against the Washington Nationals. Mackenzie Gore goes for the Nats. And James Paxson is on the bump for Boston. Boston is anywhere between a minus 163 to a minus 174 favorite. Anywhere between plus 142 to a plus 155 is your number on Washington with a total of 9. The over is minus 115 to a minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And with Boston, I did set them as a favorite in this ordeal at a minus 154. So I'm going to be willing to take a look at the Washington Nationals at a plus 155 or higher. And if you are taking a look at that run line of the Boston Red Sox, find that anywhere between even money and a minus 110. I needed a plus number to be able to dive in there. For James Paxson, he's really had a nice career renaissance this year. Someone that has dealt with so many ailments throughout his career. But he is backed up by a Boston Red Sox team that... On the road, their batting average drops by north of 50 points rather than when they are at home. They actually hit a few more home runs per game when they're on the road than when they are at home. Rafael Devers has been very interesting to take a look at on that front as overall this season he's been able to lead the way with 26 home runs, but he's actually been able to pound out 15 of those home runs on the road. But it's a 284 with a 360 on base at home, 305 on base 
on the road as well. And you find so many of those guys. You've got someone like a Jaron Duran, who's on base percentage. is right around 100 points lower when he is on the road rather than when he is at home. And for James Paxson, his production has decreased when he has been on the road as well. 258 home ERA compared to a 407 road ERA. Give it up six home runs in both environments. Both environments, he's giving up about 1.3 to 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but just does not quite pitch the same when he has been on the road. And for Mackenzie Gore, it's been an up and down season for him in that he's been able to do a nice job of being able to get a lot of swings and misses, but for Mackenzie Gore, he needs to provide a little bit more length because he is backed up by a bullpen that is atrocious. Kyle Finnegan, Lon Jordan Weems, both of these guys have been able to give you a sub 3-3 ERA, so they've been able to do a solid job, but really past that, you have not gotten any production whatsoever out of this entire bullpen. The guys like Joe De La Sorsa, Amos Willingham, Jose Farrar, they're all posting up north of a 4-5 ERA. Andres Machado has not been good, so... And it's been a little bit of an issue. And for Mackenzie Gore, he's just been really all over the place with regards to his starts. In his last five starts, he's allowed five, zero, three, two, and six runs. There's really no rhyme or reason to a lot of it. And he has been giving up quite a bit of hard contact. He's giving up in that pocket about 1.7 home runs per nine innings for Mackenzie Gore. The ERA and the fielding independent, they match up, 462. So I do find that to be a little bit fascinating. And he is backed up by a Washington Nationals lineup that they do a good job of being able to reach base. Lane Thomas has been able to give you 20 home runs. He's hitting north of a 280. And then you've been able to have someone like Joey Manessas hitting in that fold about 280. Dominic Smith, Ilyarmo Vargas, guys like this hitting in that pocket about a 260. That's been just fine. But for the Washington Nationals, they are a bottom five team with regards to home run power, which has really been what has been eluding this Washington Nationals team. The bullpen being all over the place, that has not been helping as well. But I do think that they should be able to get to James Paxson in this spot. A guy in Paxson that just has not been the same on the road. The Red Sox offense in general has not been the same on the road as well. So I do think that this is a good spot for Mackenzie Gore, who's been very much all over the place this year to have one of those good starts. As I did something, I told it at 8.9. I do think that with the Nationals, it's going to be death by a million cuts for them to be able to get to Paxson. So going to be looking at the Nationals at a plus 155 on the money line. And also going to look at this total under, as we have seen the Boston Red Sox do a pretty solid job with their bullpen. They've been a relatively league average bullpen. Chris Martin has been able to supply you, though, with a sub-275 ERA. Josh Winkowski, Brandon Bernardino, these are guys with a sub-35 ERA. Mauricio Oliveira has been a little bit up and down, but whenever you've called on Kenley Jansen, he's actually been halfway decent. So here tonight, looking at the under, and going to be taking a look at the Nats at a plus-155. 923-924 on the betting board. It is the Philadelphia Phillies on the road, facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin Gosman goes for the Jays, and Aaron Nola goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. It is a total. Unders between minus 115 to a minus 120. The over is any between even a minus 105 for Toronto. Same between minus 142 to minus 162. Any between plus 130 and plus 136 is your number on the Philadelphia Phillies. And for the Phillies, I would need at least a plus 180 to be able to take a shot here. We were alluding to it with our good friend, Mid-Major Matt. And for Aaron Nola, this is just not the same Aaron Nola that we've seen in past years. He still does a solid job of not allowing a lot of walks and the swing and miss stuff. It's still not, like, terrible or anything like that. He's getting 9.3 strikeouts per nine innings. But in the last four years, he was registering north of 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been giving up the deep ball like, a lot more this year than he has throughout the entirety of his career. 1.6 home runs per nine innings. And has he been a tad unlucky? Yes, but it's not too bad. 449 ERA compared to a 421 
fielding independent as he has been giving up those home runs. And for Kevin Gosman, in terms of fielding independent, he's one of the best pitchers in the big leagues as he has been mowing guys down and been able to keep the ball in the yard all season long, giving up about 0.9 home runs per nine innings. It's 11.8 strikeouts per nine innings among qualifying American League pitchers. Best in the big leagues, 304 ERA compared to 272 fielding independent. That fielding independent is the best among qualifying starters in the American League as well. And he's backed up by a Blue Jays bullpen that is in the top six of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA as well. To Mesa, Jay Jackson have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. They do lose their closer in Jordan Romano, but they pick up Jordan Nix at the trade deadline. He's been able to do a solid job. Bowden Francis, when you need a long guy, you're probably not going to need one here, but if you do need one, he's been able to do a good job on that front. It's just been all about this Toronto Blue Jays offense, which just has not been itself recently. For Vigero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Whit Merrifield, these are all guys between about a 335 to a 348 on base. Matt Chapman is in that fold as well as Matt Chapman. I believe that he got a day off yesterday. And for Flagger Jr., he's been able to give you 18 home runs, but they're dealing with that injury to Boba Shett. Whenever David Schneider has been in there, he's actually been halfway decent. And Brandon Belt, he's been able to give you about a 370 on base. But the ballpark dimensions in Toronto have actually led to the team not doing a great job of being able to just put runs up when they've been at home. As you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're averaging nearly a half a run more on the road than they are at home. 4.2 runs per game at home, more like 4.8 runs per game on the road. Meanwhile, you've got a Philadelphia Phillies bunch that has been able to get quite a bit recently. And Nick Cassianos, he's up to 20 home runs, hitting about a 280 with the Phillies. They could use a little bit more of a disbursement of power. Kyle Schwarber, 30-plus home runs. Need him to up that buck 81 batting average, but you've had the likes of Bryson Stodd, along with Alec Bohm, Bryce Harper, all being up at about a 285 to a 300 with Harper. Feels like that power is starting to return a little bit. And what has been key for this Philadelphia Phillies team, Trey Turner is starting to play a little bit better as well. Ever since he got that random standing ovation in Philadelphia, he's been hitting above a 300. So perhaps that has inspired him a little bit. Still not giving you a lot of thumping power. It's been a rough season for him. But J.T. Muto has relatively comparable numbers to Trey Turner as well and hasn't gotten as much of the flack. Meanwhile, for the Phillies, they have been a top eight team with regards to bullpen rate over the last 35 days. You've had Craig Kimbrell be looking like the Craig Kimbrell of old this season. Been able to get some good innings as well. Jeff Hoffman has been able to give you sub 3-5 ERA. And they've been without Jose Alvarado for much of the season as well. They now get Sir Anthony Dominguez back in the fold. So I do think that for the Phillies, they're going to be able to get some relatively solid pitching from the bullpen. I just don't think that Aaron Knoll is right now on the same level as Kevin Gosman. I did something I told it an 8.2. I do think that this is a little bit too low. I do think that for the Blue Jays, they're going to be able to wake up with their offense, especially against a guy Nola throughout his career has had a point higher on his ERA on the road rather than at home. And you're able to get the Blue Jays on the run line at a very nice plus 130 to a plus 140. I'm well and take a plus 110 or higher. So going to be taking a look at the run line of the Blue Jays and the state over 925-926 on the bank board. The New York Yankees are on the road. They're facing off against the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Bravos, and it is to be determined on the bump for the Yankees. We're seeing one initial number of a 10 over at minus 115 under minus 105. For the Bravos, it is minus 215 plus 194 on the New York Yankees. And if you're looking at a run line, most of these places, they have a off-the-board number there. I'm seeing one straight minus 110 with regards to the Atlanta Braves, and I would be willing to lay that. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 125 with the Atlanta Braves. Got to think that it's going to be Randy Vasquez in the spot. And if it is Randy Vasquez, he's been okay with the New York Yankees ever since he got called up to the big leagues. But it does feel like he's been doing it a little bit with, for one, Spoken Mirrors. And for two, just unfamiliarity with them. A little bit of deception that 
he's going to have less and less of as he makes more and more starts for Randy Vasquez. Buck 89 ERA compared to a 5-11 fielding independent getting right around six strikeouts cuts and four walks for nine innings. I'd be surprised if the Yankees trot out there something else. And they do trot out there something else. It's probably not going to be helping out the New York Yankees as they had to burn quite a bit of their bullpen because they had to trot out there Luis Severino yesterday. And Luis Severino, shock, shock, surprise, surprise, did not have the world's greatest start as you do have a Yankees bullpen that is currently number one in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Once again, and to use up a lot of these arms yesterday, but likes of Michael King, Ian Hamilton, Tommy Canely, Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta, who certainly got used yesterday. I mean, these are all guys that will be able to give you a sub 3 3 ERA, but for the Atlanta Braves, they've really been that number one team in the National League with regards to their bullpen ERA as well. As you've been able to have Michael Tonkin, Kirby Yates be able to give you a sub 3 5 ERA. Joey Menace has been a very solid cog for this bullpen as well. It's a little bit of rough going for. The closer in Rossio Iglesias to start out with, but he's been able to pick it up as well. And then for the Atlanta Braves, you just have the boom squad for the team entering into yesterday. Matt Olson, a league-leading 43 home runs, and top four guys in this lineup, all at least 26 home runs with Ronald Cunha Jr. racking up 55 stolen bases, 425 on base. Olsen's up to about a 385 on base as well. I think that he deserves a little bit more hype for MVP. He's been having that sort of season. Sean Murphy, 20 home runs with a 380 on base himself. The Braves, they lead the National League with regards to batting average, on base percentage, home runs, runs per game. You go down the list and for the New York Yankees, they're just not holding up their end of the bargain on offense. Labor Torres along with Aaron Judge are typically the lone guys in the lineup that are able to give you north of about a 325 on base. Isaiah Kinner Falefa is getting closer to 325 on base as well. You do have Harrison Bader has been able to about a 265, but doesn't draw a lot of walks. But then got the likes of Jake Bowers, Anthony Volpe, John Carlos Stanton, Ben Rotfit. You go down the list of guys getting a 220 or lower, and it's rough. Sand has obviously been able to give you a few home runs, but you just need a little bit more there. And for Charlie Morton, he's still at his advanced age, being able to give you about 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He can be a little bit of an up-and-down pitcher, as he still does give up a little bit north of three walks per nine innings. That's always been a little bit of a moniker of one Mr. Charlie Morton, but Morton has been able to do a good job here of being able to get those strikeouts recently. He's had some fumbles in his last five starts, boasting up about a 584 ERA, and it's actually been a little bit worse at home with a 390 ERA rather than the 353 ERA on the road. I do think that the home run numbers should iron out. Two home runs given up in 66 and a third innings on the road, 11 and 62 and a third innings at home, but this is a spot where if we do get Vasquez versus Charlie Morton, I'm willing to lay up to a minus 125 with that Braves run line. And this will be total at 9.7 just because the Yankees, I don't think, would do their part on a 10 total. So 9.5 or less looking at the over 10 or higher to the under. 9.27, 9.28 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox are on the road. They're facing off against the Chicago Cubs. As Mike Clevenger is going to be going for the Sox and it's undecided who's on the bump for the Cubs. So this is a game that is presently off the board. This will be the turn in the rotation for Javier Assad. And if we do get Javier Assad, I did set the Cubs minus 173 on the money line. I would need about a plus 105 to be able to take a shot on that run line. And semi-told to wear it 10 and a half or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over 11 or higher to the under. Wind is going to be blowing out, and wind is going to be blowing out at north of 8 miles per hour. So I do think that we are going to be able to get ourselves a higher total there. I will be checking the forecast as I'm doing this more around Tuesday evening when 
we do get a starter confirmed. But right now looking at a very high total, assuming that we do continue to have that forecast of the wind blowing out. And if you do get Javier Assad and his first few starts looked relatively solid, it's not been a swing and miss guy. I do think that he's doing for a little bit of regression, giving up north of three blocks per nine innings. But like what I've seen there, but not confirmed. So I'm not going to go too much further there. And for Mike Clevenger, he certainly is doing for a little bit of regression, in my opinion. As for Mr. Clevenger, he's done a solid job of working with what he's got, but he is just not the Mike Clevenger that we saw a few seasons ago. As the swing and miss stuff, it's just not what it once was. As thus far the season, he's only been able to give you about 7.3 strikeouts per nine innings, about three and a half walks per nine innings, 3.55 ERA, and north of a 4.55 fielding independent for Mike Clevenger. He has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. That is both pre and post injured list stint. As in his injured list stint, he missed about a month and a half. Has come back and has given up five runs, four of which were earned in his last three starts. But at the same time, to have some suspectness with him going up against a Chicago Cubs team that post All-Star break among teams not named the Atlanta Braves, they are number one in the National League with regards to runs per game. They don't necessarily hit a ton of homers. You've got Christopher Morrell, Dansby Swanson, Cody Bellinger that all entered into yesterday. Being able to slug out 18 home runs, Patrick Wisdom has actually led the way with 20 home runs. But in games where Patrick Wisdom is not in the starting lineup, you've got all but one guy. This is from the lineup that we saw yesterday with north of a 325 on base. And the guy with a sub-325 on base, Jan Gomes with a 308. It's just absolutely incredible. You have no breaks in the lineup whatsoever. Everyone in the lineup yesterday was hitting north of a 250. Once again, not supreme power with guys like a Nico Horner with a 275. Mike Talkman with a 375 on base. Ian App gives you a little bit of power, but it's not like he's some sort of a power bat. But these guys just all move the line for the Chicago White Sox. Dead last in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per-at-bat basis. And this is despite the fact that you got guys that are able to reach base. As Andrew Benatendi, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, all in at least about a 265 to a .280. Zach Remillard, he's been able to give you that as well with right around a .265 average. But you have one guy on the roster right now giving you north of a .330 on base and Benatendi at right around a .334. Robert, he's obviously been able to do a good job of going yard with north of 30 home runs thus far this season. You've also been able to have Eloy Menez, Andrew Vaughn, both give you between 14 and 15 home runs apiece, but oh my god, has had a season to forget. Tim Anderson has been out of the fold due to that suspension. Oscar Colas has not been able to do anything for the White Sox. They sold pieces from a bullpen that wasn't very good to start with. They still have Liam Hendricks, along Garrett Crochet out of the fold, so they've been looking a lot to uh, Gregory Sanchez to be able to provide for this bullpen. He's been able to give you a sub-3-5 year. And Lane Ramsey, in his small sample size, has been okay. Brent Honeywell is able to give you a 4 year, but it's been rough. And with the Chicago Cubs, bullpen has been a little bit up and down as well. Michael Fulmer, along Julian Merriweather, they've had up and down seasons, but they've been able to find it a little bit more recently. Edward Alzale has been very solid as well. And many of the pieces in the Chicago Cubs bullpen, they are converted starters into bullpen pieces, which is why you've been able to get a little bit more length out of these guys as well. So if you do have an obvious Assad start, even if he doesn't give the world's greatest length, they've got his back as the Cubs eighth in the league with regards to bullpen ERA as well. So assuming we get Assad versus Clevenger with the wind blowing out the way that I think it is, then after less looking at the over 11 or higher to the under end with the Cubs. Want to lay up to a minus 173 on that money line, plus 105 or higher. Looking at the run line, and we need at least a plus 174 to back the White Sox and wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bang board. It is the Baltimore Orioles. They're on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. As Blake Snow goes for the pods, and Dean Kramer is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore between a plus 135 to a plus 144 underdog, between minus 150 
187 to minus 162 is your number on San Diego. It is a total over and under any between minus 105 to minus 115. And with the Padres, I needed at least a plus 127 to take shot on the run line. I'm seeing as high as a plus 130 to a plus 135. I'm going to be willing to back them there. Now, do I think that there's regression that it's doing for Blake Snell? Yes, in his last 14 starts, he's got an ERA that is hovering right around 1, despite the fact that, as we were talking about with mid-major Matt, he has been giving up those walks, 3-plus walks in every one of his starts over the last month or so. And there's been quite a few starts where he's been giving up more like 4, 5 walks, what have you, so and it's something that's a big-time issue, and it's actually north of 4 walks in each out of his last 5 starts. The last time he had a start in which he gave up fewer than 3 walks, you have to go all the way back to June 28th against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but you date it back to May 25th. This is 15 total starts. He has given up three runs or fewer in every one of these starts, two runs or fewer in all but three of these starts. He has been on just an absolutely Herculean run. He, before this run, had an ERA of a 540, has pretty much slashed at in half, buck 16 ERA in the time span, but a 279 field independent. So I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression going up against the Orioles team that going into this West Coast road trip, they were actually number one in the big leagues with regards to road runs per game scored. And with the Baltimore Orioles, they don't necessarily do it in one way. They're not like leading the league in batting average. They don't have these guys that are pounding out 30-plus home runs or anything like that, your main home run hitters. That has been the duel of Gunnar Henderson along with Anthony Santander. Both of these guys have been able to give you 19-plus home runs as far this season, both with between about a 320 to a 325 on base. But that's just it with the Baltimore Orioles. You got a few guys that would be able to do a nice job being a reach base. Ellie Rushman, 365 on base, 16 home runs. He's typically hitting in the leadoff spot. And then from there, hitters, I would say two through eight, they're all giving you between about a 315 to as high with Cedric Mullins in the fold at a 338 with regards to his on base. And Aaron Hicks, who is on the injured list, he's back in the fold as well. Ryan O'Hearn is sitting darn near 300. They do it against both righties and lefties. And because they do have so much depth, they are able to platoon a little bit as well. And then for the San Diego Padres, the bottom of the fold has been hurting the seam a little bit. You get Garrett Cooper in, that's able to provide a little bit of power. He's able to hit about a 250, so that's big. But you've had the likes of a Trent Grisham. They're bringing in their Ben Gamble now. Gary Sanchez, Rudad Odor, Matt Carpenter, guys like this. We've been hitting a sub-225, and that's about a big reason why the team has not been able to hit well with men in scoring position. Other than Ben Gamble, I mean, everyone in the starting lineup yesterday for the Padres, at least 10 home runs. Juan Soto leading the way with 24 bombs north of 400 base. Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr. They've been in a little bit of funk recently, but plus it will give you 19-plus home runs. Awesome Kim over the last 35 days north of a 440 on base, but it's just been an issue of being able to drive these guys in and the bottom of the fold has not been able to hold up their end of the bargain. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this is a top-8 team with regards to bullpen area. Danny Colum being on the fold has been hurting this team, but at the same time, you've been able to bring in someone like a Jacob Webb who's been able to do a good job being able to give you a sub-4 ERA. Shatera Fujinami is just not good, but you've got a top-heavy bullpen because it's all about Yanir Cano, Felix Batista being able to give you a sub-2 ERA. And for the San Diego Padres, for the longest time, they were leading the National League with regards to bullpen ERA. They're 12th in the league with regards to bullpen ERA over the last three days with regards to the entirety of the league, not just the National League. Tom Cosgrove has been very solid for this bunch. You've obviously got Josh Hader, one of the best closers in the game, and being able to get Stephen Wilson back in the fold, that's solid as well, but I do think that for Blake Snell, he's going to be able to do a solid job in this spot, and I would love to be able to take the Orioles. I just still have my question marks 
with Dean Kramer because even though he's going to be in a bit more of a pitcher's environment in San Diego, he still has been giving up the deep ball quite a bit. He has been giving up 1.7 home runs per nine innings. It's up to 8.2 strikeouts per nine innings, but 4.50 ERA compared to a 4.96 fielding independence. Uh, that does give me a little bit of pause as for Kramer. He's given up three runs for fear in each out of his last four starts, but I do fear that is going to be going out of the balloon sooner rather than later. And for Kramer, he's given up two plus walks in each out of his last five starts as well. So a spot where I set the Padres at a minus 163. I'm willing to take a plus 130 or higher on that run line. Did sound like total at an 8.1. I do think that's Snell doing for a little bit of regression himself. So I'm going to be taking a look at the 8 over and the run line of the Padres. And that'll wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like to hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're please subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Gina underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, Earable Fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, via that five star review. A big thanks to Matt Joseph, better known as Mid Major Matt, for joining me in my segment, coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. And that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.